0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. How are y'all doing this morning? Mm, All right. Well, we'll see if we can change that by the end. I am uh, so glad to be with you. We are in the fourth and final week of a teaching series on the life of Joseph. We've been looking at this incredible character from the Old Testament, looking at the events of his life to learn about how we can better live our lives. with God. And we've taken great encouragement from his life because his life seems to get worse and worse and worse. And so by contrast, our lives look pretty good. And so we're going to conclude out our time. I'm so excited. If you have missed any of the weeks so far, you can catch up online. Uh, It's been a wonderful teaching series for us. And I was wondering, as I was thinking about this weekend, reflecting on uh, my week, uh, and I was wondering about yours, I wonder if you've ever had those moments or maybe those days where it feels like the entire universe is conspiring against you. you ever had one of those just like days where you just feel like all of the forces of nature have aligned against you? And it just doesn't matter what you try and do, it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. Anyone had one of those days recently... In the last couple weeks or months, yeah. And one of those days where maybe for you it was at the airport and you were trying to get back home and you were trying to get to a meeting or whatever it was. And a delayed flight turned into a longer delayed flight, turned into a canceled flight. So you let everyone in the airport know exactly how you feel about the day you had one of those. Maybe you spent the day, maybe you ended up spending the night in a city or an airport you never intended to stay. Or maybe for you it was work. You were heading into work and traffic was terrible or the train was delayed. And so now through no fault of your own, you were late. To work, and now your boss—you can just feel it off your boss. They're upset with you. They're just being passive-aggressive with you all day, or, or maybe they're being aggressive-aggressive with you all day, and you just kind of feel it. And then you know the network goes out. It works so now. You can't get any work done. You ever had one of those days? Where you're like, it doesn't matter what I do. It's just everything is working against me. You had one of those kind of days, or maybe for you it's at home. You've had one of those days where one of the kids is sick, you know, and that's just already enough. In and of itself, but the other child then apparently seems to be demon possessed or something. So you now you're trying to run both sides of that, and so you've got one sick one. And so you're you know cleaning you know throw up off the TV, only to turn around and see the other one writing a permanent marker on the wall. You ever had one of those kind of days, or one of those kind of days where you show up to church first thing in the morning and your projector just decides to stop working? All of a sudden, and your worship leader loses their voice in the first gathering, and so you have to scramble to make it all work. Ever had, no, just us? Okay. So we've all had those kind of days, right? I know you have. All of us have had those kind of days where it feels like anything that bad that could happen to you is happening to you. And it reminds me. those days remind me of a book I read as a kid, and it is an odd book to have. It's one of my favorite books, but it's a book I still have uh, uh, to this day. And it's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anyone ever read this book before? What a terrible children's book this is. (laughs) And what a horrible worldview Alexander has. Because his day starts off okay, but it just gets in his mind worse and worse and worse and worse. And life is happening to Alexander. And the only resolve at the end of the book is that his mom says to him at the very end, Some days are just like that, Alexander. Alexander. What a terrible message for children. This is a terrible children's book that we love to read to our kids. And and my hunch is all of us have had kind of our own terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Alexander adopts a worldview that I think all of us, we would never call it this, but here's what's really going on. It's when you begin to look at yourself as a victim. And life is happening to you. Life is happening to you. All the things that you wouldn't have chosen or that you can't control are happening to you. You ever had those days where it feels like life is just happening to you, where you wonder if God has forgotten all about you and you're left all alone on your own to figure it out for yourself? You ever had those feelings? That brings up a critical question that I want us to consider as we frame the life of Joseph, as we conclude this teaching series There's a question to consider as we look at his life, and more specifically as we look at ours. And it has to do with what Alexander wrestled with and what I bet every one of us has wrestled with. And the question that you have to consider is this. Is life happening to you or through you? This is a transformational kind of paradigm shift of a question. You might want to jot down. Is life happening to me, Or could, by God's grace, power, and presence in my life, life actually happen through me, that God actually might want to work through me? When life is happening to me, I'm a victim. God is off in the distance, and there's nothing I can do about it. But when life is happening through me, I get to participate with God and partner with God to leverage my life, as imperfect as it may be, for His glory and for a better story for me. So the question is is life happening to you or through you? And here's the cool thing you get to choose. You actually get to choose that one, as we're going to see in the life of Joseph. So here's what I want you to do I want you to grab a Bible and open to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to pick up where Jeannie so brilliantly left us off last week Genesis 40. So if you would, please, everyone, grab a gray Bible. Turn to page 29 in the Gray Bible. If you have your own Bible, great. If you got it on your phone, fantastic. We say this all the time. I feel like maybe I should say it again. If you don't own a Bible and are serious about exploring the God who loves you, created you, and actually uh, desires to have a relationship with you, please steal a Bible from church today. Please, please, please (laughs) steal one of these Gray Bibles. Don't steal like someone else's who brought their own. Don't steal their Bible. But these Gray Bibles are for you. If you don't own one, steal one from church today. It'll be fun to brag about at work tomorrow. Genesis 40, let's look at where we left off. Last week, we saw that just kind of quick context. Joseph has had a really terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life. And he was sold out by his brother, sold into slavery, carted off thousands of miles to Egypt. As a slave, he rose to prominence in his master's house, only to be accused by his master's wife of a crime he didn't commit, thrown into prison, forgotten while there interprets two different dreams from people who worked for Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world. And after he interprets their dreams, he says, hey, don't forget about me, don't forget about me. When you go back to talk to Pharaoh, just remember me. And so that's where our story picks up, Genesis 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, one of the guys that he interpreted a dream for, however, did not remember Joseph. He what? He forgot him. He forgot him. Now, does this feel like a through me or a to me kind of moment? If Yeah, if I'm Joseph, it's like, what, what? Joseph did nothing wrong. It actually helped this guy out to interpret a dream. And yet again, he was forgotten and left to rot in a cell. And you got to wonder if Joseph is wondering in this moment, has God forgotten about me too? Has God forgotten about me here? But his story isn't over. Genesis 41. So let's keep moving. We're going to move through a lot of chapters in the next couple minutes. So Genesis 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed. Okay, so when two full years had passed. You have to imagine that. We kind of read these and that's one sentence. Imagine two years in a prison cell for a crime you didn't commit. Wondering where God is at. So after two years, someone else has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. And I love that the cupbearer finally had a moment of remembrance. Because Pharaoh comes into work one day, he's like, I had the weirdest dream. I have no idea what it means. And the cupbearer's pouring him his morning wine, as pharaohs do. And so he's pouring him his morning wine and going, dream, 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 dreamer, dreamer. I know a guy. And so the cupbearer has a guy, and he says, I know someone that can actually help you interpret this dream. In fact, I met him uh, while I was in prison. Remember when you threw me in prison for, yeah? So when I was there, I met a guy, and he interprets dreams. You should actually have him come and interpret your dreams. And so that's exactly what happens. They haul Joseph up out of prison, clean him up, bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh begins to tell him the dream. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Pause right here, right here in this moment. Pharaoh's saying, again, most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world at this moment says, I am stuck. I need help. I hear you can help. Now, if you're Joseph, having been locked in a prison cell for two years, that's your moment. (laughs) Capitalize on it. Yes, I can. I'm an interpreter of dreams. In fact, you'll never meet a finer interpreter of dreams than me. I'm here to help you. Remember, my name is Joseph. Like, I would just sell. That's a moment to sell yourself, right? But look at what he does. Verse 16, he says this. I can't do it. Now, look at this perspective. I can't do it. But God will. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Again, we don't even know how much Joseph knew about God. There was no Bible to read, no church to go to, but he knew enough to know. It's not me who does this. It's God through me. So if I can interpret your dream, it's not because I've studied and I went to school and I have all the training and credentials to do this. It's because God is deciding to work through me. And he's very, very clear about that. So Pharaoh explains to him his dreams, and like dreams, they are just weird. The first is about seven beautiful cows, if there is such a thing. (laughs) Seven beautiful cows... Standing by the Nile, and then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, seven ugly cows come and eat the seven beautiful cows. So, apparently, in Pharaoh's dreams, cows are carnivores, it happens, and so they come and eat those cows, and he doesn't understand what it means. Then he has a second dream, just like the first one. In this, he sees seven beautiful, full, ripe heads of grain, and then out of nowhere, seven nasty heads of grain sprout up and eat the healthy heads of grain. So in this dream, the grain is vegetarian, and so it eats the other grain. And Joseph hears this dream, and then God works through him to interpret the dream. Verse 28, Genesis 41, verse 28. He says this, It's just as I said to you, Pharaoh. God, not me, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Verse 31, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. I just want you to pause for a moment and consider the one offering these words to Pharaoh. What a fitting metaphor for Joseph's life up to this moment. There were good days. He had favored son status. He was loved. But those days must have felt like a million years ago. My hunch is that there's some of us here today, or maybe you're listening online right now, and maybe you feel the same way. The, the good old days feel like a lifetime ago for you. And it's been years of wrestling with infertility. Or it's been months that you've been out of a job. Or it has been way, way too long, much longer than you ever imagined, that you would actually be single. And you've begun to wonder, is there a famine on God's favor in my life? Has it run out? Is it all over for me? Is this it. If you've asked that question or wondered those thoughts, you are not alone. You join with Joseph and me and many others who've wrestled with and wondered the same deep questions about where is God when our life doesn't look perfect or like we planned. So Joseph goes on and continues verse 32 kind of breaks it down for Pharaoh. He says, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms, two different but very weird dreams, is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. In other words, this is going to happen, Pharaoh. You need to be ready for it. And then what I love that Joseph does is he takes the opportunity that God gave him in that moment, and he says to Pharaoh, now, this dream interpreting thing, it's really more like a hobby for me. It's something I just picked up along the way while I was in prison. My real skills and abilities lie in leadership. In fact, here, Pharaoh, is what I would do if I were in your shoes. You have to love a former slave and convict at this moment, a prisoner in this moment, say to the most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world, Here's what I would do if I were you. And he lays out a plan for Pharaoh of how to reap all of the years of abundance so that they can not only be prepared for the years of famine that are coming, the years of drought that are coming, but they can actually sell to those who are hungry and grow and expand the empire all in one plan. Pretty incredible plan that he just comes up with on the spot. And look at Pharaoh's response, verse 37. The plan seems good to Pharaoh, And to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God? I love this. Because again, we don't even know how much Joseph knew about God. But I can guarantee you Pharaoh knew less. They worshiped all kinds of other gods, but yet he recognizes in Joseph the spirit of God is in him. There's something different about this person. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Look what happens next. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, those of you who are here for week one, do these words sound familiar? It's exactly what Potiphar said to Joseph when he was at his lowest point. Maybe it was week two. It's been a long teaching series. (laughs) Potiphar said, you'll have free reign of the house. No one will be more important in this house next to me except you. Well, Pharaoh's taking it a little bit further. Pharaoh says, no one in the empire is going to be more important than you, except for me. So look what Pharaoh does. Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now this, in my opinion, is God's hand at work, but a very rash and irrational leadership move. After only knowing someone for a couple of minutes, you hand the entire empire over to them. Verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And now look at this. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Do you think when Joseph woke up in a prison cell, a cold, dark prison cell that morning, that he had any idea his day would end like this? Do you think he had any idea of what God was about to do in his story in this moment? And I love what the writer of this story calls us to pay attention to, that once again there's a robe put around Joseph. There's just a little nod to what was taken from him and how his story began. And he was given this beautiful robe from Pharaoh to wear, along with a big, beautiful, like, Run DMC gold chain to wear. around his neck. So it's a beautiful picture. I hope that helps you get that cliff if you want to visualize that. So we have this powerful moment where everyone else, everyone else, everyone else, he had assumed maybe had forgotten him. But God was faithful to him. God was with him when he was in the pit. God was with him when he was in prison. And God was with him now. God had not brought him all this way into Egypt to leave him there, to rot in a prison cell. God was with him. God was not done with him. And the same is true of you. The same is actually true of you. That God loves you. He has not forgotten you. You are not alone. He is with you. And listen to me. God has not brought you this far to only bring you this far. God has not brought you this far, brought you through all he's brought you through. He's not brought you through all of that only to go, well, seems pretty good to me. I guess we'll just hold right here. He has not brought you through all he's brought you through to only bring you this far. God has not walked you through the valley of the shadow of death only to expect you to pitch a tent and live the rest of your life there. God has not actually walked you through this season of winter and forgotten about spring, that there is, in fact, a new season and a new day coming. And you may feel as though God has forgotten about you, but he has not forgotten about you. He is faithful to you. And he wouldn't have brought you this far to only bring you this far. Do you trust and believe that God is not done with you yet? And if he's not going to give up on you, And why would you ever give up on him? So we see Joseph's story continue. His plan worked brilliantly, worked brilliantly. Genesis 41, verse 57. And all the, look at what it says here, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. So we see it now has this kind of global reaching influence that he has From being faithful to God and God not forgetting about him, but being faithful to him. And so now let's go back home to Joseph's home. We're going to, the text takes us back home for a moment to see now a a new chapter in the story. So Genesis 41, uh, 42, verse 1. We'll just jump to the next chapter. When Jacob, that's Joseph's father, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, and I love this, he is becoming an old man and he ain't got time. For no stupidness or no small talk. He just says it straight to him. He's like, why do you just keep looking at each other? What is your problem? Do you think grain is going to fall out of your ears if you just keep staring at each other? So Jacob here has kind of had it with his sons. Like, what? Do something. Do something. And so he goes on to tell them, verse 2, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt here's a thought, go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not preferably die. (laughs) So Jacob just kind of gives it to his sons and says, go do something, go down to Egypt because they have grain there. So most of Joseph's brothers left, not all of them, they left Jacob, their father, and Benjamin, their brother behind, and they went down to Egypt to get grain. Again, keep in mind, they have no idea if Joseph is still alive. Their leading assumption is that he's dead because they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery Many years ago, half a lifetime ago. So they would have no thought going to Egypt that maybe they might have the encounter they're about to have. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they what? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now again, those of you who are here Earlier on in the series, it started with a dream. Joseph had a dream that he shared with his brothers. crazy dream where they were all had these bushels of grain, and all of their bushels of grain came to bow down to his bushel of grain. It didn't go over so well. That's why we're at where we're at in the story. (laughs) They sold him into slavery over it, and their jealousy of him. But isn't it interesting that all those many years later, Here his brothers are bowing down before the master of grain. How faithful is God, even when we cannot see his plans. Now, if I'm Joseph, the most second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world, this is a moment. I mean, this is a critical moment. Like maybe one, if again, now if I were Joseph, like I would have thought about this moment a lot. If I ever see my brothers again, if I ever see, like there would be journals of all the things I was going to do to them when I saw them writing on my prison cell wall, you know? I mean, it would be easy to kind of go that route, right? To just think that's what's going to go on here. Powerful thing to think about, actually. Think about this for a moment. Powerful choice that you have when you have the opportunity to hurt the people who hurt you. That's a powerful thing. When you have the opportunity to hurt the people who hurt you, to hurt your ex, to say things to them or to your kids about them, to hurt your old business partner who cost you so much time, stress, money, how you speak about them, what you might be able to do to them. To have the power to hurt someone who hurt you is a powerful thing. And that's exactly what Joseph has in this moment. But let's look at what Joseph does. Instead of exacting revenge on them, he runs out of the room weeping. He runs out of the room weeping because he's so overwhelmed, not by revenge, but by redemption. He is now beginning to see glimpses of the bigger story that God had been working over many years in his life. He's beginning to see it come together, and he is overwhelmed by it. But he doesn't reveal himself to them right away. Again, they have no idea who this guy is, this grain master, this second most powerful man in Egypt. They have no idea. So he sends them back to go get Benjamin, his little brother. He wants to see Benjamin. They don't quite understand why, but after a long kind of chain of events, they go back to get Benjamin. They come back to meet with Joseph, again, not knowing who he is. Let's jump to Genesis 45. So jump ahead a couple chapters, Genesis 45. A lot of kind of going back and forth and him not revealing who he is to them and kind of testing their character to see if it's really them. Genesis 45, verse 3, finally the moment comes. He clears his court. He kind of gets everyone out of his presence, and he has this intimate moment with his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Again, he had no connection to his former life. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Rightly so. Imagine what was running through their mind in that moment. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I love the tone that he takes here, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph the one that you sold into Egypt. And I just love the implication here. Oh, that Joseph. As if they didn't know which Joseph at this point. He wanted to But it is true. It did happen. He has every right to say, remember that thing where you sold me into slavery? That was a thing. Uh, well, I'm here. It's me. I'm your brother. And I love what he does in verse 5. And now, do not be distressed. Don't be. I love how he knows what's going on in their own minds. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Now look at his perspective. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Is that to me or through me? Through me. Even though this terrible thing that you actually did, he's not letting them off the hook. You'd sold me into slavery. You did that, but here's what God did through that. God actually sent me on, look at that perspective, ahead of you. That God actually sent me on ahead of you. Verse 6, For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there'll be no plowing or reaping. Verse 7, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. It wasn't you who sent me here. But God, it would be so easy for Joseph in that moment to point the finger, to point the finger. Do you have any idea what I went through? Do you know what it's like to be sold into life as a slavery? Do you know that while I was there, I was thrown into prison for crimes I didn't commit? Do you have any idea what you did to me? Instead, he has a complete paradigm shift perspective. Those things didn't happen to me. God is actually working through me, and he's working through those circumstances in my life to save you, and ultimately to save millions of people. And you don't need to turn there, but I just want to close with this thought that Joseph gives after finally his brothers go back and get his father Jacob, and they're all united together as a family in Egypt. Joseph has this moment where he says these words. You can just read them on the the screen. He says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me. That was your plan. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Could you look the people in your life who've hurt you into their eyes and say the same? Could you? Hey, you meant to hurt me, Dad. You meant to hurt me, ex-spouse. You meant to hurt me, boss who fired me. And I thought for sure life was all happening to me, but God actually was working through it all. And God was working through me. And God was working out something much better for me. This former slave, ex-con, who had spent half his life wondering if his life mattered, saved millions of lives including those of his own family. And for those of us whose lives maybe haven't worked out quite like you had planned or imagined, or for anyone who has wondered if God has actually forgotten you, or maybe you've wondered if there's actually more to this life, this is actually for you. you need to pay attention to this because all the parts of your story that you have tried really hard or you want really bad to delete, God actually wants to complete. He's not done with you yet. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to edit those parts out or you can hand them over to God and say, write a better story, God. For all the parts of your story, your life, maybe even going on right now, that you have looked at through the lens of this is just a bad story. This is a really bad part of my life. In fact, I don't even really talk about it that much. God doesn't see it as a bad story, He sees it as backstory for what he is actually about to do in and through your life. And it's all a part of the bigger and better story that you actually get to write with God when you trust him to work through your life. Even your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days or weeks or months or years can be redeemed and transformed by God and given far greater purpose than you could have ever possibly imagined. See, we have this notion that for God to work through us or to use us in this life, for us to have any kind of purpose in this life, everything has to be perfect. We have to have it all kind of figured out. We have to make sure that it all makes sense or it all adds up on our timeline or we kind of have to kind of get our life cleaned up for God to ever use us. But if you look at the life of Joseph, that's just not what you see. His life was not perfect by a long shot. And yet what we find is that your life doesn't actually have to be perfect for your life to have purpose. Do you know that? Your life doesn't have to be perfect for your life to actually have purpose. Purpose for there to be purpose and meaning in your life. In fact, that's so good, and y'all are kind of acting a little bit like 8 a.m. I mean, they had more going on than you this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you, so go ahead and look them in the eyes right now and say, your life doesn't have to be perfect for your life to have purpose. Your life doesn't have to be perfect for your life to actually have purpose. You don't have to wait till you get more time. You don't have to wait till you have more money. You don't have to wait till the kids are out of the house. Your life doesn't have to be perfect for your life to have purpose. You don't have to wait for someone else and come and do what God has actually called and created you to do. Your life doesn't have to be perfect, all buttoned up, all neat and pretty, Sunday ready for God to use you. Your life can have purpose and it can begin actually today if you are willing to trust God all the way through the highs and the lows, all the way through your whole story. In fact, could it be, could it be that there's not an ounce of your story that God isn't intimately familiar with? And all the parts that you thought were irrelevant or insignificant, God can actually redeem and transform those. In fact, sometimes it's exactly those things the circumstances you wouldn't have chosen, the chapters of your life you would rather have skipped over, that God actually wants to redeem and transform. And he has you right where you're at today, and he hasn't brought you all this way to just bring you this far. God actually wants to work through your everyday life. And then it's no accident you are who you are, you're at where you're at, you know who you know. Do you know that all of that, all of that, can be leveraged for God's glory and for you to have a better story in this life all of it all of it I think of a friend of mine who grew up with uh, goes to our church and I was talking to him earlier this week and I know from his story he shared with me before his he didn't have a really close relationship with his dad his dad was physically present but not emotionally present in his life and he, he told me the exact moment, and we talked about it. Like, he's like, this is when I feel like I just, my dad just stopped, we just stopped connecting. And maybe you can relate to that. Or maybe you just physically didn't have a parent around, or you lost them. And it'd be really easy, and, and in our culture, supportive for you to point a finger at that and say, well, if, you know, this is why I am why I am, because he did this, or she did this, and... And what I love about this guy is that for the last four years, he has faithfully served as a volunteer in our preschool ministry here at Soul City Kids. Week in, week out. Do you know what he's doing? He's being a positive, emotionally present male influence for these young children at this church. That's a better story. God is working through him. Even the parts that didn't make sense when they happened, God is redeeming those and writing a better story. I had a meeting this week with, Jean and I met with a couple at our church and they were telling us their story and some things that are shifting. They're listening to God, their life is shifting. It's not what they had planned. And she talked about how uh, there was a season in her 20s that were really, really, really painful. And in fact, she didn't even really go into detail, but it was kind of one of those things where she didn't have to. You knew that There was a lot of pain wrapped up to it and connected to it. My hunches, you have a season of your life that you go, that was a really tough time. That was a really dark time. It was a really painful time. In fact, you may even be in it right now. And I sat across from the table, we sat across from the table for her. And she said, So he that's what she said. She goes, So here's what I'm going to do. I've begun to write a book, and I'm going to tell the story of my life. And I want to help others not have to suffer what I suffered through. And if I can help people kind of avoid some of that pain and invite God into those places in their story, then it will all have been worth it. That is a, do you think that's to me or through me? That is through me. These things happen, they happen in my life, but God actually wants to redeem them. I think of a friend in our church who's been a part of the restaurant and bar industry here in Chicago for a long time. And for those of you who've worked in restaurants and bars, it can be a tough place to work. And for a while now, he's been talking about how much he cares about these folks and how much he cares for these folks. And finally, I was just like, so what are you going to do about it? And we can keep talking about it, but what what, what are you going to do about it? And so he's kicking off his own little group where he's kind of pulled together folks that work in the restaurant and bar industry, and he's like a pastor to them because it's a unique set of things that you all face if you've worked in that industry. And he has become a pastor to these folks and taking just who he is and where he's at and what he knows and saying, well, God, would you want to work through this too? I mean, that, that's, that was not in our small group official list of small groups. He's just someone who said, I can do this. God would leverage my life, my experiences to do this. And I wonder about you. I wonder what, what your story will be You can keep kind of going through life, pointing your finger at all the things that happened to you. And many of them, if you were to share them with us, would break our hearts. And I'm not trying to minimize those things for one second at all. Or you can open your hands up and say, God, how do you want to work through this? How do you actually want to work through me? Did you look at the... Violence in our city that plagues our city and it's so easy to be overwhelmed by it and go there's just what can I do there's nothing I can do well you have just as much time as everyone else on this planet I know it doesn't feel that way those are all about priorities and choices that you make last week we talked about I mentor how you can actually be a mentor to a high school kid here in the city And rather than just kind of watching the headlines and watching the news at a safe distance, you can actually get involved in someone's life and pour yourself into someone else and leverage who you are, your experiences, your time, your talents, your resources to invest in one other life. That's something you can actually do. You think about all the volunteers who are serving you this morning right now. Many of you in this room serve and volunteer in this church. I mean, think about all the like the 19 people who greeted you as you came in to sit down here today, right? And the, If you have kids upstairs, you took kids upstairs and there were people who got up earlier than you and who were ready and waiting for you. And if you were to ask every single one of those people out to the folks out in the parking, doing our parking right now, and you would ask every person on our culinary team serving in the kitchen to make sure that all of our volunteers have incredible world-class meals. If you were to ask every one of them if they're perfect every single one of them to a person would say not by a long shot and I know this because I'm not either but they didn't wait around till everything was perfect to begin to live out their purpose and for some of us you've been coming for so long you've been coming and checking out soul city for so long and you're really glad that everyone else shows up and does their part but maybe today it's time for you to show up and do yours it's time. You don't have to wait till it all works out. Your schedule's all perfect. You can take a step today. Right after the service, go out to our next steps wall and say, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. And we'll, get you, we'll help find the best place we can for you to make a difference. Some of you, when every time we receive the offering, the bucket goes by, you have this little thought, oh, you know, damn, once, I get, once I get my money right, once I get this kind of figured out, once I, then I'll start giving. Once I begin to make a little bit more, once I... And it's so easy to wait for everything to get perfect before you begin to invest in what God is doing in this city and around the world. And maybe today's the day you say, it may not all be perfect, but that doesn't mean I can't have purpose. And I would hate for you to miss, I would hate for you to miss God's purpose for your life because you're waiting for God to make it perfect. I would hate for you to miss God's purpose for your life because you're waiting for God to make it Perfect. It wasn't perfect for Joseph, but God still used him anyway. And that's the invitation that every single one of us has today. So here's what I want to do. I want to assume that you want to live a life of purpose that's bigger than you, that's a better story than you could ever write. I'm just going to assume that about you. And because I believe that's actually true of you, that you want to live a life of purpose that's greater than you, I actually want to pray for you towards that end. So here's what I want you to do. I'd love for you to stand up right now and I wanna close out our time here together today praying that you would actually begin to step into the purposes God has for your life, big or small, that you wouldn't wait till it all works out perfectly, that you wouldn't wait till it all makes sense, but that you would say today, God use me with who I am and where I'm at and what I have, God use me. Again, it's easy to point a finger at all the things that have happened to you, but the posture we love to take around here at Soul City Church is open hands, where we say God work through me. So if you would, I'd ask you to open your hands up right now, and I want to pray for you, and then we'll conclude our time together here today. God, I do thank you for the life of Joseph and his incredible character and integrity and his unbelievable faith, God. And I don't know what it was like when he was a slave or when he was in prison, but God, I know you were working through him, and you took all the parts of his story, and you gave us such an incredible picture of what it looks like to trust you all the way through. And so God, I pray over every life, I know there's not a perfect person in this room, but God, there are people of purpose in this room. And you wanna work through us right where we're at with what we've got and who we are, who we know. God, that there are big things that you wanna do, even small little things that you wanna do starting today through our lives. And so God, I pray you'd help us trust you and that we would be responsible to take the next step. Whatever that may look like today, I trust you completely with that, God. So I pray for our church that we would do that. We would step into the greater purposes that you have for our life in this world. And God, I pray because of that, you would be given all the glory and our city would be changed and transformed because of it and that the world may see and know that something is happening, that there is a God who is good and who loves this world, and he's making that known through everyday imperfect people like us. So God, we pray that. I pray that over our church. In your name, by your love and your power. Amen.